Good afternoon and welcome to our first In Conversation with HWP webcast. Um, we've decided to roll out these quarterly outlook webinars at your request, so thank you for your feedback. Um, I do need to start with a general advice warning. Uh, the information contained in this webinar has been provided as general advice only. The contents have been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should therefore, before you make any decision regarding any information, strategies or products mentioned in this webinar, consult your advisor, consider whether it's appropriate having regard to your objectives, financial situations and needs. At the conclusion of our talk, we're going to open up for questions as normally. So um, presenting today, along with myself, Will Hamilton, will be John Green and Kane Barano. I also have Ian Gillies in the room with me here uh, to answer any questions you may have on strategic advice as well. We've talked a lot about Wall Street versus Main Street, and the differential that we believe risk-based asset markets are experiencing, and we need to, and we will discuss this in, in some detail. Equity markets at the moment are experiencing a melt-up, and many ask, what is a melt-up? Um, which we haven't experienced since the tech boom in 1999. And a melt-up is focused strongly towards a sector or sectors, and in this case, very much technology. Um, with lagging sectors being dragged up with the rest of the market. However, it is interesting in the last week, you saw technology stocks rally, the rest of the market didn't, the broader market as they call it in the United States. Last night, you saw the Dow actually up, so the broader market, but it's a, a very narrow collection in that broader market. And you saw tech stocks actually correct. So we are starting to see some disparity. Previous melt-ups, a lot of money's been made as markets run up. However, when they reverse, even more money is lost, especially in the sector that leads this up. Um, to start though, before we get into the markets, I think we do need to look at where we are economically. And we are in stage two of the multiple stages of recession. And I've spoken to a number of you about this. We've written about it in our last insight. And this is where the sharp personal impacts are felt. And despite the strong bounce back we're seeing in risk-based assets, it's where the economy does grind to a little bit of a halt, about two thirds of the way up the V and goes sideways. Look, the, side, the, the shape of the recovery and recession in many respects, it's irrelevant. Um, you know, what we, uh, whether it's U-shaped, W-shaped, our view is that the pandemic recovery is gonna take longer uh, than what many people are expecting, especially equity markets. You know, one to two years rather than a quick fix to, you know, and, um, it's therefore helpful to understand what, what stage two of a COVID-19 recession will look like in, in terms of the timelines. So rolling job cuts we're seeing at the moment, we discussed that in our insight. You, know, you, you don't need to be blind Freddie to realise what's happening with respect to companies starting to let people go. Store and business closures, and we used in our insight example of Target, badly performing business beforehand. Um, this sort of made it an easy decision for West, West Farmers. Rise of the zombies, as the Australian Financial Review call them, and they're the companies that are being held together um, by JobKeeper and you know, the, the relief on rent, rents and things like that. And there's a lot of discussion what's going to happen. And you know, you know at the first of all, the, one of the, term, the terms that we saw for this uh, event we're going through was very much um, you know, across the valley. Now they're talking about the cliff um, as we approach what will be the end of JobKeeper, et cetera. So what will the government do? And they're starting to make some noise on, you know, that, that maybe that cliff may not be as steep as people think. And then pressure on lending. Simple fact is the banks stop lending. Um, 
and yeah, there's not as much lending going on out there because they're under pressures as well. And by the way, the rise of the zombies and the you know the, the fact that those companies go under that that comes from the banks as well. So stage two of a recession can be brutal because that's where the personal it's a big personal effect as people are let go and things like that. Um, and that's why we do feel there is a disparity at the moment between Main Street and Wall Street. There's a disconnect. Um, it's not unusual for markets to rally ahead of the recovery in the real economy, but the gap, in our opinion, just seems to be too great. Um, so we'll talk about the volatility we expect in a minute. I'm going to hand over to John Green on fixed income and currency. Uh, thanks, Will. Uh, look, I think fixed income and credit markets are going to be a fair bit calmer in the coming quarter or two and possibly even into next year than they were you know, when this crisis first began. There's no doubt the fixed income markets have been through a lot of stress in uh, late March and into early April, probably the most stress they've been under since the GFC. Um, credit spreads blew out very dramatically, in some cases hundreds of basis points in a day. Liquidity was very poor in a lot of segments of the market and as I say, it was a, it was a very difficult time for, for two or three days um, when the, all this first began. But when the central banks and uh, uh, governments around the world stepped in and started providing liquidity, things started to, to ease gradually. And over the course of the last quarter, we've got to the point now where the market is really pretty much back to normal. Spreads have come back in quite a long way. Um, the market's functioning pretty well, corporates are issuing again, and it's interesting to note that the Reserve Bank here has not had to buy any government bonds from the market for over two months now, which is a sign of confidence uh, in, in the market. But what, what does that mean for just interest rates generally as a start? And I, I don't think it's a big call for anyone to say that interest rates are going to be low for quite some time yet. Um, it's going to take a long time for us to come out of this recession. It's going to be bumpy. Uh, and so the Reserve Bank will be doing everything they can to encourage that. And that means keeping interest rates low. Um, short term interest rates from overnight out to three years are effectively capped at 0.25% now. In addition to the cash rate being at 0.25, the government is now targeting the three year bond at 0.25. So that means if ever it tries to trade higher than that, they will go in to the market and buy government bonds to push it back down again. But as I say, they haven't had to do that for two months. So the market's doing that quite comfortably itself now. So that only leaves longer term interest rates and the 10 year bond's been pretty steady for the last few months also, around about 0.9. Um, it trades a little bit higher in yield when you know economic numbers come out a bit stronger, when the COVID news looks a little bit better, it trades a bit lower in yield when we see the opposite happening. But uh, I, I think the 10 year yields, I suspect if we're right, and you know, we, we see this um, recovery for want of a better word, falter a little bit over the coming months as the COVID numbers get a little bit worse. And, and you know, we see some of the real economic impacts flowing through when it, I think in the near term that the um, longer term bond rates might trade a little bit, a little bit lower. We are, um, having said that, in the last phase of this duration trade that we've been in for 30 years. So once interest rates are at these low levels, there's a limit to how much further they can go. Um, but we could be in this last phase for, for quite a while yet. Um, you know, you're going to need to see real signs of a sustainable recovery and of inflation expectations returning um, before we see any sustained move back up in, in longer yields. Um, it's also interesting that the um, government will be 
issuing a 30-year bond at the end of this month, a new issue, um, and so it'll be interesting to see how the market takes that. But it's a good move on the on the part of the government to be able to, you know, if you can raise 30-year money at one um, percent or somewhere around there, that's that. You know, we think that's a great idea. Um, so, what about credit spreads? Um, they have come in a long way since the worst of the crisis. Um, probably made up about 80% of the ground that they lost um, when the crisis first began. And in some of the investment grade bonds are actually trading um, at around about the same levels they were before, before the crisis began. Um, we're pretty comfortable with them around these levels. There will be some particular issuers who, who will um, come under stress, but that will be issuer specific um, you know, when the market perceives that they're, they're a higher default risk for, for whatever reason. And um, the Virgin bond uh, issue, which a lot of people are aware of, is a case, is a case in point. Um, so what does that mean for client portfolios? Well, look, as a first point, we've been really happy with the way all our fund managers in this space have performed. Um, and the secure debt or defensive managers um, perform very, very well through this. Um, they provide a good buffer against the volatility in other parts of client portfolios. Um, they're just there for safety to provide liquidity, um, fairly low returns, sort of one and a half to two percent above above the cash rate. But as I say, to take take that volatility out of the portfolio in these times of stress, and we've been been very comfortable with them. Um, in diversified credit, um, similarly, we've been happy with how people, have, uh, all our managers, have held up held up there in the traditional corporate bond fund space. Um, we choose managers who are well diversified, very active, and again, only deal in investment grade uh, issues, albeit at the um, slightly lower end of the capital, capital structure where you can get slightly higher yields. And, and they're sort of providing returns of three to 4% above, above the cash rate. We also think it makes sense for clients to have a little bit of private debt in their portfolios. It, it depends on obviously your individual risk profile, but we're talking about non-bank lenders there, um, but again, at the in the most secure parts of the curve, all secured um, secured debt uh, with returns of sort of high single single digits, and some of you at least will be aware that we've been looking at distressed credit um, lately. That's not something we would look at in all market conditions, but it's an interesting area to look at when we're coming out of recession. Um, as I say, it's not for everyone. It is high risk. It is illiquid, um, but it is provincially uh, potentially a good source of quite high returns for a small portion of portfolios for appropriate clients. Um, with respect to currency, well, I hate being asked to talk about the currency because it's the hardest thing to predict where it's going. But um, I'll give it a try anyway. It's it again was very volatile through the early stages of this crisis. And we saw the Aussie trade um, down to 57.40, I think was the, the low at the, at the worst point. And, and again, as liquidity was pumped back into the system and economies gradually started to open up again, uh, it, it gradually moved higher over the last quarter and even popped its head above 70 cents briefly last week. Um, the, it's been helped by commodity prices, which have been very firm, iron ore in particular. So it's and it will continue to get support from that. Interest rate differentials help a little bit, um, and again, uh, the numbers, economic data, generally over the last few few weeks to a month have been generally a little bit better than than expected, with the exception of the last 
last few days. I, I suspect though over the next few months it will go a little lower again because we think the recovery is going to falter a bit. You know, the, the trend on the COVID news is not great right now. Um, so I, I suspect we're going to see it a little lower um, over coming months. I don't think we're going to see 60 cents cents again, but if we do, um, then we would move to a fully hedged position for client portfolios. Most of you are aware we've been 50% hedged for a few years now, and we think that's been the, the right strategy. It's worked well overall, but um, if, we, if we did see it back below 60 cents, we'd, um, we'd definitely look at moving to a, a fully hedged position. Um, that's basically it for me. Back to, back to you, Will. Thank you, John. Look, um, I mentioned we're going for a melt-up um, as we experienced in 1999. Um, and markets have moved up very fast. And I, just before John came on, I said, what we're going to see is volatility. And you know, let's, let's admit it, that's what we've seen. It was volatile on the way down in the, in the first quarter of um, to 2020. And in the second quarter, we've seen a bounce back. And so we've seen that volatility um, continue. And that's what's with us. So what are the drivers as to the bounce up and, and why? So Citibank, we, as we mentioned in our insight, have looked at this and we, th we think that's just worthwhile touching on. So there's this thing called the Purchasing Managers Index, or as they talk about it in the paper, they call it the PMI. So what's happening is that markets are looking forward to a PMI of 52. Now it's currently about 42. The PMI is a closely watched economic indicator and attracts buying behaviour in a range of, of, of areas. The readings are still well below 50, as I just mentioned, and the level must be above 50 to indicate expansion. So they're saying, right, we might be well below, but we're seeing it above that looking forward into 2021. The second thing is there was a short squeeze. So with a degree of stimulus, you know, between six and eight trillion, um, that's three times that of the GFC. Um, this has triggered a huge short squeeze on equities. And so you saw people covering short positions, put pressure on, on the upside on share prices. So in other words, the stock market traders who bet on a falling market, they're scrambling to cover their positions. So that added to the upward pressure on prices. Equity risk premiums. So you've just had John talk to you about the bonds and where we're seeing things in bonds. And what is what the equity risk premium is, though, it looks at the return in excess of the risk-free rate or the the bond rate on investment in shares as expected to yield. And against bonds, equities do look undervalued. And if you think that we're in a longer for lower scenario, as John just explained, then equities are underpinned by that lower rate. The other thing is big tech stocks. So as I've said, this is large, tech, large cap technology stocks are providing the impetus for this rally. Um, a lot of people comparing it to 2000 and the tech bubble, but it, the rally looks trivial compared to the rally we saw in the tech rally in 2000. So what they're overall doing is they're looking through 2020 to 2021 and equity markets are looking through the dire circumstances we're in and the economy, and they're looking towards a recovery in 2021. So there's a, there's a saying in markets, don't fight the Fed. Uh, the record levels of stimulus being provided by governments and central banks, it's influencing market strength. There's no doubt about that. The other thing is though, um, and I, I urge you all to look at, um, I presume it's going to be in the print version tomorrow of the Australian Financial Review, came out at about 11.30 today. And Hamish Douglas, the chairman of Magellan has talked a lot about what he sees in markets and he's starting to take money off the table, which was interesting. He didn't buy in March, but he also admits he doesn't know where things are going. 
He thinks that things look a little bit stretched. He thinks that markets could fall, but he admits he doesn't know. Um, and you need to look to the here and now and consider the investment implications. Um, equity markets are looking uh, too much at liquidity. Uh, they're not looking, in my opinion, enough at solvency. And that's a big thing, which is where I come back to the economy. It's interesting that uh, you know one thing we've been talking to some clients about very selectively is the oak, is oak tree. And Howard Marks recently told the Australian Financial Review that investors need to seriously consider the risks and balance these with the potential returns. So he told the AFR, as such as it seems to me, the potential for further gains from things turning out better than expected or valuations continuing to expand don't fully compensate for the risk of decline from events disappointing or multiples contracting. So what he's looking at is the fundamentals, and they may be positive on balance, but with listed security prices where they are, the odds aren't in investors' favours, and that's what he's saying. So how do we position equities in a portfolio? We do think we're in for a bumpy ride. We think the volatility, as we've seen, it's going to be continue to be with us. So you know, we've mentioned what we've seen in the last two quarters. Everyone's seen that. Um, expect that to continue. Uh, at this stage, we're not going to be making any major tactical calls at this point. We've got, we've got a few minor ones. Kane's going to discuss that in a little bit more detail. Active management. This is one thing, and we've been talking a lot to the managers. We talked to them a lot back in April after we went through that first quarter. We've started to have conversations now that we've finished June in the last quarter. We've been talking to them throughout. We believe that um, index is going to really struggle. This is where you are going to be and we're active managed. There, there are definitely winners and losers through this. Um, and the shutdown. And there's very clearly companies that are winning and companies that are losing. We think that active management is really going to come to the fore. Um, many people have also asked us, should, should we exit equities altogether? Um, look, market's going to be volatile. However, long-term equities will be supported based on what we just talked about. But you've also got corporate earnings. They will bounce back as economies are slowly reopened. Monetary policy is going to support equity valuations. We, we see interest rates continuing to be lower for many years to come. I've just said we, won't, we haven't made any major tactical allocations at the moment, but if we saw a pullback, we will increase our equity allocations. Um, so for those of you that listened out uh, to our Peter Cooper webinar, we will buy equities with a certainty of decreased risk. And that's what we're looking for. And we didn't see that back in March. Um, now, look, one other part that I want to talk about is alternative assets. And 18 months ago, we conducted, well, Kane did, I won't take any credit for this, but a lot of extensive and detailed work on how we allocate to specific asset classes within the alternative asset bucket and determine the appropriate weightings. Because like a lot of other wealth managers, we were putting them all into one back bucket. But we were worried that this was getting distorted. These investments are definitely not appropriate for all clients. So, you know, you've got um, in alternative asset classes, we, we, what we've done is we've gone into our own risk categories and ensured that client allocations for each of these are appropriate where it is the right thing for these clients. And in hindsight, they have contributed portfolio returns. Um, you know, we just uh, heard of another one today where there's going to be some positive distributions. Um, uh, look, there's, there's no doubt there's some that will be um, going to have some neg slightly negative returns, but we've got others balancing out with some positive returns. They've dampened volatility and therefore they've reduced portfolio risk. Um, some of these are illiquid and there's been a lot of debate in the press about the merits of holding such investments. We've main, maintained very, very close contact with all our underlying investments. We've some, seen, as I said, some small write-downs, but on the other side, 
we've seen some positive returns and we're going to, you're going to see some positive um, returns come through on the 30th of June. We do continue to see and we believe there will be opportunities in asset, these asset classes. Um, we've not held in the last 18 months and we will not hold long-short funds. Um, James Kirby from the Australian rang me up and wanted to talk about them. I said, I can't talk about them because we, we don't have any long-short funds in our portfolios. Um, as many of you know, I believe the only winner is the fund manager um, and we won't be holding those going forward at this point in time as well. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to hold over, uh, sorry, turn over to Kane Barano. He's going to talk on direct property, REITs, and then finally asset allocation. Thanks, Will. Um, so before I talk about asset allocation, I think it's um, very important to stress the importance of process. So um, no one can time markets. I think the latest bout of volatility reminds us of that. Um, but when we talk about process uh, with respect to asset allocation, we're referring to our strategic long-term asset allocation and then making tactical shifts around this. And, th and that's done to take advantage of market movements and also the fluctuations in valuations. So with that in mind, um, uh, last quarter we saw value in A REITs. So these are listed, um, listed REITs on the Australian market. Um, and we saw this value following the government mandated lockdowns and the, um, the prices of these assets traded um, in comparison to unlisted um, property, well, it, was, it was at levels that we hadn't seen since the GFC. So in March and April, A-rate pricing implied that their underlying asset values would fall in the range of 20 to 40%, which we thought at the time was overly pessimistic. So negative real yields, and a more positive macro backdrop means that A-REITs appear more attractive medium term, especially on a relative basis compared to other asset classes. What we, what we witnessed in the unlisted property market is that most managers wrote down the value of their assets during the heat of the market downturn in, uh, in March, and that was based on their expectation for lower uh, rental incomes. But what we've seen since then is that several of these managers have actually written up the value of these assets. Um, and in some cases, especially in healthcare and some in logistics, um, they've actually increased the value of their, of their assets. So one manager that we um, work closely with expected rental waivers and deferrals of rents upward of 50% in March, but this manager has since completed negotiations with all their tenants and reported waivers and referrals in the low single digits. The outcome uh, the outcomes that we're seeing are very sector specific, which reinforces the need for diversification, not only at an asset level, but also a sector and subsector level. And might I add also geographically. So given the wide range of outcomes that we're seeing um, in different countries, it, it also reinforces the need for, for geographical diversification when it comes to property. Um, we made a small tactical shift during quarter two. We moved from an overweight position in global equities and we moved that back to neutral and that allocation went into emerging market equities. So this move came on the back of valuations and it was actually quite timely given, um, I'm not sure some of you might have seen, the Chinese state media actually encouraged their citizens to buy equities a few weeks ago and that led to a, a near 15% spike in their equity market. Um, but we do maintain that overweight position and the strong rebound that we've seen in Chinese PMI numbers and their better handling of the coronavirus uh, further supports this overweight position going forward. 
So in summary, the tactical asset allocation move did not change our global equity position, but instead it shifted it more into emerging markets and less into developed markets. Um, so we've maintained a marginal overweight position, which we had leading into this in infrastructure, private equity and growth alternatives. And we remain slightly overweight risk assets, uh, favoring emerging markets and A rates as we head into calendar quarter three. So uh, back over to you, Will. Thank you, Kane. Look, as a summary, what should people do now? Um, it's I'm going to repeat what we've often said to you, and you've heard from Kane just then, is that asset allocation is crucial. It's been important in minimising the impact of the current crisis. It'll be even more vital um, as a factor going forward as centrist and protectionist policies and economies take hold. Um, and yeah, that's a discussion for another day. It's, Surviving stage two is about having a very healthy level of scepticism. Keep focused on the overall economic conditions, accept we're in a recession, accept we've entered phase two and plan accordingly. Simply looking at the virus numbers and recovery, um, that doesn't consider the broader challenges that's laid at our feet. Risk-based asset volatility at the speed we're currently experiencing means that tactical positioning has been difficult. Um, we believe that equity markets did not represent value back in March when balancing for risk. Um, and that's the big thing, balancing for risk. But if we saw a, a pullback, we believe that you know, you'll get more observation over that risk. We always say to you, and we often say, and we always say here at Hamilton Wealth Partners, investing is a patience game. It's important to have a conservative strategy built around asset allocation and to stick to the process. I'm now going to uh, throw it open to questions. There's the Q&A button down the bottom in the toolbar and there's the chat button. Um, and we look forward to receiving your questions and we can go from there. And I can see there's a question already from Mr. Eric Barecki. How long is stage two you're referring to? Um, how long's a piece of string? Um, look, you need, the, the big thing you've got to look at is I think unemployment numbers. That's the big thing. It's when you, when we need to get this through and we need to start to see employment coming back, net employment coming back into the, in, into the economy. I think that's the big thing. I can't tell you how long it's going to be, Eric, but I, one thing I can tell you is look very, very closely at um, employment numbers. I think that is the, the key thing to be looking at. I really do. Um, and at this stage, yeah, and I think it's being discussed in the paper. You've got the official unemployment rates, then you've got shadow unemployment. So where does that all wash out? Um, I don't know. So just that's the focus. Um, from Steve Hiscock, what happens if the Democrats win in November? Will they raise taxes? Steve, I think you were perhaps on the same webinar as I was um, on Friday. And... Um, the Consul General, Australian Consul General from New York was talking um, about the various outcomes that potentially could happen. Um, it looks like the Democrats at this stage will probably um, pick up the presidency and then it gets down to the Congress and um, it looks like they'll retain control of the House of Representatives, so the lower house. And in the Senate, it looks like the Republicans will retain control of that. So maybe 52-48. One of Biden's policies is to increase the corporate tax rate. I think it's from 21 to 
So, um, look, and this is a personal view. I think that the some of the Democrats' policies, you, you sit there and you shudder. But the world also potentially probably can't afford another, I don't believe they can afford another four years of Donald Trump. Um, but it's what, regardless of what his policies are, what will he get through? Especially if the Republicans control, retain control of uh, the Senate. And I think that's the big thing. Now, then will they, remembering that they have elections effectively every two years in the United States, so what happens two years after that? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I couldn't tell you, but for the first two years, I would say that you know he will have policies he will want to get through, which are to increase taxes. Um, but whether he gets them through or not, I think that's unlikely. Uh, Peter Russell, what factors might cause a major downturn in the equity markets in the near future? I feel feel that the market has focused really on they've, they've ignored. The economic fundamentals and the markets fell on COVID-19. They rose on when everything was opening up um, on COVID-19 and was looking through COVID-19. And I feel that markets will fall if you got this so-called phase two of the virus. Um, for those of you that there's quite a few of you I noticed that are uh, enjoying the sun in Brisbane and Sydney, um, we are in lockdown in Melbourne, so we effectively have a phase two. Um, but if this, you know, again, it was discussed on this webinar that um, we attended on Friday, there's some magical figures here. And one of them is if there's two, the White House itself, it was said we're estimating 200,000 deaths, that number to hit by the 1st of November, guess what, you know, a few days after that, you have an election, um, being the presidential election. And as you know, you don't need to be a dummy to just, whenever you turn on the news, you are seeing what is the pickup in infections and deaths in the United States. So I think that is the biggest risk at this point in time. Well, I'd, I'd just yes, add to that, um, watch, to watch, I'd just add to that to watch the credit markets. You often see them start to act first. So if you start to see stress in the credit markets, um, yeah, that can often precede a, a reasonable move in the equity markets. Uh, that's a very good point. The credit markets, yeah, nine times out of 10, they lead. Um, Michael notes, some of the traditional areas within infrastructure seem to be mortally wounded, i.e. international air travel. How do you view infrastructure long-term? Um, I wouldn't say, you know, mortally wounded, but I would say that they're under a lot of stress. Um, and until international air travel comes back, um, there, there's, you know, there has been write-downs in some of those assets and there will continue to be write-downs write -downs in some of those assets. Um, I think you will see some of the listed one, listed stocks, such as Sydney Airport, perhaps you know as it was, and it could happen again if we've got phase two. You will see these being oversold. Um, the one thing about unlisted infrastructure is it doesn't get that volatility. So you know, IPIF, which you know, a number of people have, you know, has got a large holding in both Melbourne Airport and Perth Airport. Um, it's withstood about a 6% downgrade from memory um, in those assets. There's probably a little bit more to come. I wouldn't say they're mortally wounded, but I would say that you know, they've been under a little bit of stress in the short term. And yeah, that that has to continue until we, yeah, I think this is very dependent on a, on, on a cure. And that's, that's the big thing. Um, do we have any other questions? It doesn't look like we do. 
If we don't, I just want to thank everybody. As I mentioned at the very start of this, um, we decided to commence this quarterly in discussion with HWP and talking about our view going forward because of the feedback and requests from you, our clients. Um, please give us your feedback as well. Uh, we do want to continue these um, and any way to improve it, um, we will be. There actually, we're going to be upgrading the technology so we um, to make this easier as well. So we have ordered it, just hasn't been installed. You'll also will have received an invitation uh, to our fund manager series, which Kane Barron and I will be hosting, I think the next, it's next week or the week after. And the first one's with DNR. These are fund managers that are going to be presenting. So whilst we've had Peter Cooper and people like Paul Bassett talk about um, what their views on markets, you'll notice they didn't really talk about their funds. And in fact, I asked them, and you know, same was with Alan McFarlane, the first one from, from Edinburgh, not to talk about their funds, and they didn't. But with their fund manager series ones, please note they will be talking about their funds. Um, so in effect, there will be a little bit of selling going on by them. So I just wanted just to point that out. Thank you for joining, uh, and we look forward to your feedback and have a great remainder of the day. Thank you.